On September 16, 1845, Frank Worrell was a man on a mission. Leading an anti-Mormon posse, he galloped out of Carthage, Illinois, along the main road to Nauvoo. He was chasing Jacob Bakenstos, the sheriff of Hancock County. Not a Mormon himself, Bakenstos had been elected with the support of the Mormon people. But Worrell had had enough of Sheriff Bakenstos and his pro-Mormon sympathies. To make real progress driving the Mormons from Illinois, Worrell decided that the sheriff had to die. Now Worrell and his posse were galloping after him. Their only chance to kill the sheriff would be to overtake him before he could reach the safety of Nauvoo. After a two-mile chase, Worrell managed to catch the sheriff at the railroad shanties, some miles outside the city of Carthage. But Worrell got more than he bargained for, because there at the railroad shanties was a small group of Mormon refugees who had been burned from their homes and now were en route to the city of Nauvoo. They were led by an armed escort, and as Frank Worrell rode down upon the sheriff, Sheriff Bakenstos yelled out for help, and one of the armed men stepped forward. Orrin Porter Rockwell, the Mormon gunslinger and childhood friend of the Smith family. On today's episode, we'll cover the story of Orrin Porter Rockwell, the man who shot Frank Worrell. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. For roughly a year after the murder of Joseph and Hiram Smith, the Mormons at Illinois had largely been at peace. But in September of 1845, Hancock County saw a sharp increase in anti-Mormon mob violence. On the 10th of September, mobs and militias began attacking Mormon homes in the outlying communities. For those who lived through these attacks, they were horrifying. The National Daily Pilot, a newspaper in Buffalo, New York, reported how the mob worked. The company known as the Fire and Sword Brigade led the effort to burn the Mormons out of Illinois. Quote, The antis claim they will not injure the sick or the widows, nor destroy the grain. When they find sick persons or women, they give them notice to leave. As soon as the house is vacated, they set fire to it. All right, well, women and children forced from their homes, but according to the mob, they would not be injured. But this chivalry, apparently, did not extend to Mormon men of military age. In the process of burning out the Mormons from the small town of Lima, the mob killed several Mormon men. One survivor of such an attack was William Draper, who later described the way the mob operated in burning his house. After hearing about the mobs attacking Lima, Draper seemed to think that the good relationships he had built with his non-Mormon neighbors might convince the mobs to leave him alone. But he was wrong. He recorded, quote, One day, there came an armed force of about 60 men. They set fire to my hay and grain, and then to the house. I will just say here that at the time, I had two little boys lying at the point of death one four and a half years old and the other two and a half years old, Albert Edward and Parley Pine by name. 
They were carried out into the woods and a bed made by their mother on the ground. I will here say that while the women that had volunteered to help her were carrying out some of the things, the rest of the crowd divided the straw out of a bed into the four corners of the room and set fire to it. The women tried to put it out, but some of the ruffians took them by the shoulders and put them out of doors, and she was not in a condition to be handled rough with safety. The house burnt down with the rest of its contents. I was obliged to flee to save my life. I remained out there until there came on a a very heavy thunderstorm. I then ventured out to see what had become of my family. I found them all alive and no personal injury done, but my house and grain and hay and considerable fence was burnt to the ground, which threw my field open to the commons, where I had about a thousand bushels of corn, mostly in the shock, but all exposed to the ravages of hogs, sheep, and cattle, which were roaming at large in abundance. While William Draper managed to stay hidden until the next day, he came out to survey the damage. A ruined man now, he visited his neighbor, George Walker. Quote, I then ventured to go see my nearest neighbors, a Baptist preacher by the name of George Walker. When I arrived and began to tell what the mob had done, he said, Mr. Draper, I know it. I saw it all, but I could do no good for you, for I feared they would destroy me next. Is there anything I can do for you? I said, I wished I could get his wagon to move my family from among this mob, and then I will return it. He said, There's my wagon. Take it. And if you return it, all well. But if not, all is well. So who was leading this new spree of mob violence? Well, first, there was Colonel Levi Williams, who just months before had been acquitted of murdering Joseph Smith. But having escaped the gallows once, Williams only grew bolder in attacking Mormon homes and settlements. The other ringleader of this spree of mob violence was Frank Worrell, a young man who had been popular with the old settlers of Illinois. He was an officer in the Carthage Grays. He and his men had been tasked with guarding the Carthage jail and keeping Joseph and Hiram safe. But the evidence is overwhelming that he instead conspired with the mob in their murders. On the day of the 27th of June, he had candidly told Dan Jones, a friend of the Smiths who had stayed the previous night in the Carthage jail, quote, We've had too much trouble to get old Joe here to ever let him escape alive. And unless you want to die with him, you'd better leave before sundown. You'll see I can prophesy as well as old Joe, for neither he, nor his brother, nor anyone who will remain with him will see the sun set today. Later that day, about five o'clock, a mob attacked the jail, but the Carthage Grays put up only a sham resistance. One witness, William Hamilton, was part of the main body of the Grays, camped about half a mile away on the green. When he heard the mob was attacking the jail, The main body of the Greys began a slow, steady march from the green to the jail, with an unspoken understanding that they would not get there too soon. But apparently not everyone in the Carthage Greys understood that it was a sham. One soldier, Thomas Marsh, apparently believed that his fellow Greys at the jail were all about to be killed by the attacking mob, and he lashed out at his fellow soldiers who were plodding along at a leisurely pace. Come on, you cowards! Those boys will all be killed! Finally, unable to convince them to spur their efforts or move faster, he broke away from the languid formation and ran to the jail on his own. 
but he didn't need to, because as Hamilton described it, quote, the Carthage Greys were guards that did not guard. In fact, I think they understood the whole matter, unquote. Under Worrell's direction, they fired one volley at a mere 20 feet from the attackers, but did not injure or kill anyone. They then scuffled briefly, and the mob breezed past them and into the jail. Frank Worrell would be called as a witness at the trial of the accused murderers, and there on the stand, this is how he described the scene inside the jail. There was a great crowd, as thick as in this courtroom. Their pieces were going off all the time, and there was so much noise and smoke, I couldn't see or hear anything, what was done or what was said. When the prosecutor, Josiah Lamborn, asked Worrell whether he and his men had actually loaded their weapons with blank cartridges, Worrell snapped back, I refuse to answer that question on the grounds I might incriminate myself. Following the acquittals of the Carthage killers, Williams, Worrell, and others did not just target Mormons, but anyone they thought was too friendly with the Mormons. Whether you were a private citizen like William Draper's neighbor, George Walker, or a public official like Sheriff Minor Deming, you risked your life taking the side of the Mormons. And it was this attitude of with us or against us that would put Frank Worrell on his fatal collision course with Porter Rockwell. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Adventures in Mormon History. And next time, we'll complete the story of the man who shot Frank Worrell.